0: Welcome to Landsharks After Dark, your weekly dispatch from the dystopian hellscape that is Old Miss Athletics. I'm your host, Justin Sanders. Got my co-host, John Stefancic, with me. What's up, buddy? How are you doing tonight?
1: I'm good. Longest day of the year.
0: Yeah, we're here in the solstice. bright sunshine outside. 706 <clears throat> as we record this. Uh, it is Thursday, June the 21st. Took last week off. Uh, just, you know, not a lot to talk about when it comes to... Uh, Ole Miss sports and all after the baseball team choked in impressive fashion. Uh, if you're trying to follow football recruiting right now, you're an insane person. Uh, <laughs> you, you have no respect for your own time.
1: Did we get a receiver transfer today? No,
0: it's a, it's a hope and a dream. Basically, Demetrius Robertson, number one wide receiver, five-star in 2016. He's from Georgia. Everybody thinks he's going to be in Kirby's first class. Uh, He ends up going to Cal to play uh, for Peeler. Obviously, Cal fires Sonny Dykes. Peeler comes to Ole Miss. Uh, Now, Robertson's leaving Cal, so I have to sit out next season. He'll have two seasons left to play after that, potentially a third because he was injured last season. Um, Ole Miss has been mentioned, I mean, in uh, Bruce Feldman's tweet, I think Ole Miss was the first school he mentioned as a possibility, has a strong relationship with Peeler, so it's possible. I mean, it would be a huge gift for Ole Miss you know, right after I said if you're following recruiting right now, you're an idiot. But I mostly mean if you're trying to follow the state of Mississippi, the class of 2019 right now, uh, you're just you're going to lose your mind. Um, there's there's no clarity. And also, I mean, I'm getting the I'm getting a distinct feeling that this is going to be a down class for Ole Miss. I mean, just get ready for it. Everything is trending that direction, whatever. You know, I don't think it's necessarily healthy behavior to care about that uh, at this point in the program's trajectory. It's OK, you know. It may, they're gonna have some bad classes. I don't know if you remember what happened the last five years. That's actually what we're talking about today, John. We're talking about foul play, paid in Mississippi. Stephen Godfrey's four-part docu-series on uh, the old Miss NCAA investigation, the Laramie Tunsil draft night sabotage, Leo Lewis, all of that. Um, I just finished watching it. I know you watched it a little while ago. It was I, I asked to late because I just went, I couldn't get around to watching it until now. Uh, again, I think a product of my uh, my my give, a, my give a damn meter being uh, perilously low, but I did get it done the last two days. Um, you know, I liked it. We will have obviously more in depth thoughts here. We were just talking before the show, and I was like, "Well, we better start recording before I use up all my talking points here." Um, I mean, is there anything? What, what was your initial reaction when you watched it? Um, you know, before we go into all the details, just uh, how how did it strike you?
1: it was well done. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. You know, it's been about three weeks since I watched it. So there mm-hmm. were certain details that I kind of sat there and was like, really, that's not exactly how I agreed. Right. That, definitely at the time, but then looking back at the, the puzzle, the puzzle goes together differently as you look back. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, I think it captured the main points. What's interesting. Now, What's interesting is they kind of acted like this whole thing was more or less done, which mm-hmm. a lot of it is, but there's—and they portray it as a, big, as a five-year ordeal. Really, it's more than that. This started in 2010 with the 2010 recruiting class, mm-hmm. and it's still going. You have the Rebel Rags lawsuit, and all Miss still has an appeal out there. Right, man. yeah. Mm-hmm there's like a 1% chance the NCAA goes, you know, we didn't hammer these guys hard enough. Let's hammer them.
0: No, boy. I don't think that's possible. You've been floating that. You've been floating whoa, whoa, whoa. that.
1: Whoa, whoa. What, kind of floating that. <clears throat> what kind of Ole Miss fan are you if you're not just a 100% skeptic after all this? I mean, I,
0: I don't think that Ole Miss is going to win their appeal. I don't think anything's going to be added on to it. That would be a little crazy. Um, okay, so I agree with you. It's It's not necessarily all finished. Um, I think making it a little series, the way he did it, makes sense in that context. You said right before we started recording the show, you know, say the Rebel, law, Rebel Rags lawsuit uh, is some big, huge deal, and you know the NCAA is, is a party to it. You know, Merkel's tried that, um, and you know brings down Dan Mullen and Scott Strickland and the NCAA and Mike Sheridan and all that. You know, Godfrey gets to come back, <clears throat> make a new episode about all of that added in and he looks like a genius for seeing all of this coming. If that doesn't happen, Old Miss or Rebel Rise you should say, Charles Merkel lose the lawsuit, lose the appeal, all that goes away. I think Godfrey can just walk away with the four parts that he has. Like you said, you know, maybe it seems like right now it's not over, but in that case it would have been over and he was right all along to end it where he did. So I think doing it the way he did it as far as releasing it when he did it, making it four parts makes sense for him at least, for Stephen Godfrey. Oh, it's a
1: free shot. I, I don't fault him yeah. whatsoever. I mean, it's probably more or less done. Had, there's probably an NCAA Rebel Rags settlement at some point. But I
0: think it's a we'll win-win for Godfrey. Um, I, 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 what my biggest concern is something I was saying to you earlier is I don't know what is bringing an unbiased fan or a biased fan that dislikes – uh, Old Miss or Hugh Freeze or thought that they were cheating, which is a lot of college football fans in the last five years. I don't know why they would watch this. Um, I, I think it it mo- in. I don't think it was intended this way, but in reality, I think this is a salve for Old Miss fans that can watch it and feel somewhat seen and vindicated. And I think it's maybe a hate watch for Mississippi State fans. You know that that read Old Miss message boards or whatever. It's not really too different from that. Um. I, again, I I think he was going for something a lot loftier than that. Uh, he does talk a lot about the inherent brokenness of the system, and obviously he's not wrong about that. Um, I thought the part, the brief part about uh, Byers, the original chairman of the NCAA, was super interesting. I'd heard about that speech before. I don't know if you remember this, John, but when he left office, he basically gave a speech that said, uh, you know, the student athlete system that he had come up with. Uh, was broken, didn't make sense in the, in the more modern age of college athletics. and even said that the schools and the NCAA itself and the conference offices were operated under a, a neo plantation model. Uh, which I thought was like, wow, this guy is freaking woke. This is probably like 40, 50 years ago. But, uh, that, that, that part was interesting. Um, I, as I agree with you, it was extremely well done. Whoever, whatever film production company, or you know, I looked at the name of the director and their producers and stuff. They they are honestly quite talented. Um, I, they they took a college football writer and a rental truck and like an Airbnb apartment in Oxford, uh, had him drive around Mississippi for three weeks, and they made it look damn good. Uh, you had the, your drone shots in there. they Did a great job, I thought. With uh old footage of the players and other stuff that was happening during their recruitment they really had um some some really really great luck finding some of that old stuff and i'm guessing got permission from places like the clarion ledger and other sites to uh to use their their videos um I, i agree with you there were some instances where i thought either that isn't exactly what happened or that isn't the order this happened in. The chronology is kind of confusing, but you know, I will say we've spent many, many episodes over the past two or three years uh trying to iron out the chronology and the details and figure everything out, and it's just a gargantuan task. I mean, we have gotten lots of things wrong ourselves, so I can't fault Godfrey too much for that. Um I I I definitely enjoyed like some little choice moments. Do you remember when uh when Hugh Fries texted Godfrey, "Thank you for seeking the truth." That was really funny. That was a funny moment. Um, I thought I thought the the SB Nation editors were really good. I thought the 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 editor in chief, I think her name was Elena. Uh, she she was great. Made some great points. Even Spencer Hall, who can uh, be a little well, I'll say even Spencer Hall and Bud Elliott. I don't like Bud Elliott at all. But I thought they all did well. You know, I have no idea why James Carville was there. Uh, he had he had no insight into any of the situation. He was basically just like the southern guy that was not from Mississippi. And it, I know why he was there because he was the only recognizable face to someone that doesn't you know know these SB Nation people or know the coaches. You know they just had to they we wanted to interview with somebody that was was known. So you get James Carville. Uh, I don't think he added a whole lot, but whatever. You know it's your movie. You can put James Carville in if you want. Uh, my question, John, is. You know we hear him one scene him allegedly talking on the phone he said he calls it bagman why? I won't say the guy's name, but it's someone that a lot of people know he is. He's a lawyer uh here actually in the he practices law here in the suburb by live in Ridgeland um he represents clients in class action cases um he is the guy that the NCAA says paid Leo Lewis some evidence points to that in the movie he denies it. What Godfrey didn't talk about, and it's something that we talked about a lot on the show, John, if you remember, uh, that not many other people were talking about, was this text message from Booster fourteen. Again, not going to say his name, but it was on Barney's university issued phone, where he basically says, "You swore your daughter's life," blah blah blah. He corroborates Lewis's story basically the night before signing day. Instantly has this; it's in all the evidence, all that stuff. Directly goes against his denial that he would do that in the movie. And, and I, I, am guessing either Godfrey just ran out of time or maybe that's part of, you know, um, cultivating that relationship with the booster. I really don't know. But to me, that is kind of, uh, a huge part of the story that gives the NCAA's argument, more credibility and takes away from old Miss's argument that kind of got left out. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know why that wasn't in there, but to me, that was always really the bombshell piece of evidence when it came to that $10,000 payment, you know, no matter how much Ole Miss tried to argue, uh, well, he couldn't have driven there in 45 minutes or never back, blah, 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 just very pedantic arguments they were trying to make. No one could ever explain what that text meant or what it could possibly mean other than, yeah, I paid this kid and I'm mad at him for, you know, talking to state or whatever. So, yes. you know, nitpicking because we're too close to the situation, but that's one criticism.
1: Yeah, looking back now, the one thing that, jumped at me a bit that I kind of, I disagree with the portrayal and this is, I think against most opinions. Okay. Jesus tweet signing day 13 about, you know, don't slander their families. Right. Tweet a, I don't think the tweet itself set everything off. I think in the, the documentary kind of says this in a backward, in a bit of a backhanded way. It was Freeze's interview with Mike Sheridan after that tweet. Yeah. It's so, an emotion. I mean, uh-huh. McCready, said, mm-hmm. McCready said on there that Freeze told him, quote, I want to put, I want to, something like I want to, you know, shove dirt up his ass or something. No, like. that was
0: funny. Yeah. I only know because I just watched it. Uh, McCready said that Freeze's direct quote after meeting with Sheridan for the first time was, I want to stomp a mud hole in his ass. Yeah. Which, again, is some fake country shit, man. Hugh Freeze is so fake, dude. I swear to God. But it's funny. Like, I want to say that now.
1: Oh, freeze quote ever. Stop mud. I want to
0: stop a mud hole in his ass. And then he puts a big oh. fat dip in. I did love that Godfrey showed uh, Freeze on that ESPN All Access where they're asking him, so you don't cuss and you don't drink. Yes. He's like, no, no. And it's like, so you don't visit massage parlors when you're on the road recruiting. No, of course not. Like, it's just, it's it's too good, man. That's one of the best Freeze clips of all time. There's a lot of good ones. Um, okay, so John, uh, I don't think you're wrong. Obviously, the conversation between Freeze and Sheridan w- was a lot more important for changing the color of the investigation than that one tweet. But the thing about that tweet that I've heard from multiple people in the know that are connected and understand is when he did that, that email address is FOIAable, you know, Freedom of Information Act. The problem was he then was getting hundreds of false, semi-false, who knows, gray area tips and stories sent to this email address and rival journalists and people like the NCAA had free access to them. They can investigate every one of them. So I agree. It didn't necessarily set off the adversarial uh, tome between Ole Miss and the investigative arm, but I think it did create a whole lot of headaches for the Ole Miss uh, compliance office, at least from what I've heard. Yeah, freeze when it when was ill advised. I mean, freeze is a cocky Ole yeah, ass
1: When Freeze met with Sheridan, if he had come across as look, I'm these guys do it the right way, and you know if he if he had sold the angle that this is I'm standing up for my players,
0: well, I think he to work be hard. Humble. They
1: want to come here. Treadwell and Kimdichi are perfectly explainable, mm-hmm. and then Tunsel, you sit you sit there and you tell him, look, his kids, his brother's getting a scholarship. That's what he yeah, wants. it's explainable. That's cool.
0: explainable too. And then you say, uh, and also like he's playing with other elite guys like Tony Connor and Kimdichi and, and Treadwell. And then you
1: sit there and you, if you list out, hey, here's all the people we missed on. Mm-hmm. All the like people Elijah, they were in the top three, top five. Elijah Daniels was a guy that flipped Auburn last minute. Shai Carter. Mean,
0: Uh, Drew Richman. I mean, if you look at Ole Miss's signing day track record outside of 2013 under Freeze, it was abysmal. I mean, yes, there are logical explanations for the big four coming to Ole Miss, but let's not act like they didn't also get paid. I mean, we know Tunsell got paid. Um, So I I think that was the signing day that they could really throw money around as well because it was before the investigation was really cranked up in any sense. Other signing days weren't really able to do it. Uh, 2016, you had to cobble your class together out of, you know, spite recruiting, A.J. A- a. Brown, who's going to Ole Miss because he hates State so much at this point after Dan Mullen and all that. Uh, You know, Shea Patterson, you got his brother job. I don't know if you saw, John, Sean Patterson got promoted, got a new title. Um, oh, he did? Yeah, that's what I read at least on uh, Football Scoop, so that's exciting. You
1: got a promotion on Matt staff. Yep. They got, they got new titles. They,
0: they promoted a bunch of the GAs and stuff, and uh, Sean Patterson's still hanging around. He's making, like, he- he's making like he's making like eighty seven thousand dollars a year or something. That's pretty cool, huh? Why is he there? I don't know, man. Maybe he knows where the bodies are buried. I don't know. Maybe that he's good. At, be, maybe yeah. he's good at his job. I don't know. I mean, Tyler Siski is the freaking head of our recruiting office, so who who knows what anything is anymore? Um, although I respect that. I mean, let's say Tyler Siski did steal Freeze's plays and was using them to try to help Saban. That's totally cool, man. Like that's winning. Like you know, come to Ole Miss and help us win, right? Yeah. Um. So where where I was going with all that back back up a couple of tangents back before that, uh, yeah the stories were explainable. I think I think you he needed to talk to Sheridan as more of an equal probably than he did. Um, I think he was probably super cocky. I think he probably came across as, you know, why don't you try to find it? You know, why don't you try to bust us because I'm so confident well, we he do came
1: it. across I think is how dare you even question my yeah you know, hey, hey. which
0: the Sheridan is is saying, you can't bust us. You can't find proof of it. And I mean, yeah,
1: and, and I don't know. maybe Sheridan's a guy that has a you know little man syndrome, and that just totally set him <laughs> well, off. Well,
0: I mean, Freeze is 100% that guy, so. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe they're
1: the same person. <laughs> yeah,
0: I don't know. I mean, it's like great Gatsby quote that I use all the time, like a bad driver is only in, in danger when they encounter another bad driver. I mean, these are these are two, at least we know the Freeze side of the equation, egomaniacal, uh, yeah. read their own press clippings, worry a lot about perception, all of that. I don't know much about Sheridan, but he definitely seemed to have Uh, an axe to grind with Freeze after that. Um, Which is why it's so crazy, and and Godfrey mentions this briefly in episode four, that we go through all of this, we're told the entire time it's personal, and even in this documentary that's made after the punishment's handed down, it's personal, and then Freeze gets a two-game suspension. I mean, I can say on the record confidently from very good sourcing that the fact that Freeze ratted out Ole Miss at the COI hearing in Covington is is indeed reality. I mean that is what happened. That's that's not only the only logical explanation. It is what I've been told happened. Um, so that's kind of part of the story there. Godfrey kind of references it obliquely, but I, I mean the whole thing is just is just so twists and turns, man. Like it, I I I commend him for making the sto- the documentary at all because I do think it is a a true Southern Gothic kind of uh tail and I really honestly love how much screen time he gave Steve Robertson cuz to me that's like one of the qu- quintessential the 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 most important Mississippi and Egg Bowl aspects of this whole story is that Steve Robertson got Hugh Freeze fired uh and, and did you I don't know if you remember but he talks in the documentary a few different times basically saying Ole Miss is the biggest cheaters in the country. They always get away with it until now, and I was able to bring them down. And he said that if the print media in Mississippi had found the uh, the escort phone call, they wouldn't have broken the story. Only he would break it. It's. I mean, like, listen, props to Steve. He apparently made money, is making money off his self-published book. Um, you know, I guess Gene's page or, you know, they're merged now because 24-7 and... uh and what's it called? Merge. Scout merged. So I guess his sight's doing well. I have no idea. He 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 has a job he loves. Talks about Mississippi State every day. I mean, he is a super fan. If we're all Miss fans, Steve Robertson is I mean, I'd say fifteen, twenty times our enthusiasm level at least for his for his state fandom. Uh but dude, like, get help, man. Like yeah you, you you have like some serious delusions of grandeur. You have some uh I I Hesitate to assign, uh, you know, any type of diagnosis here, but there, there's something going on in your head, something about little brother syndrome, some myopia, uh, that just makes you think all of this is a lot more important than it is. It makes you think that you are a lot more important than you are. So I, I appreciated, uh, and I, and hey, props to Robertson for talking to Godfrey. You know, that's only because he loves attention a little bit more than he hates Ole Miss. Uh, that he, that he would speak to a bare media source like Godfrey. But uh, <laughs> overall, overall, I thought it was good. I suggest you watch it. If you listen to this dumbass show, you would get something out of it. Um, you would at least see a lot of the things we've been talking about here for a long time. Uh, I do have to mention that it was hilarious that uh, in the press conference after the uh, the the sorry the punishments came down. So after the, the host- egg bowl. The host- Video, no, no, no. Uh, this would have been the third press conference, right? So, the first press conference was Freeze, Bjork, Vitter, the second was Bjork and Vitter, and Freeze is gone. And, and and Vitter saying this is a sad day for the University of Mississippi, and the third is, uh, I think again, Bjork and Vitter saying that they're gonna appeal the decision and they're very upset that the NCAA did this, blah blah blah. Um, this would have been late November, early December, when the punishments came down. In the middle of the coaching shirts, all of that. So after that press conference, wherein they actually got to ask questions, props to Ole Miss for having a press conference with press present that can actually do their jobs. Godfrey asked a question. They showed someone else asking. i was not sure it was some young guy. After it, they show Godfrey talking to Kyle Campbell, like in a very intimate way. Like clearly, I would say clearly, it looks like Kyle Campbell is a source, uh, and they probably talk if not often when they need each other. Uh, but Kyle Campbell didn't sign the release. So his face is blurred out and they left that in the movie. I thought that was so funny. Like what a petty move by Kyle Campbell and this whole four, this four part documentary that honestly goes out of its way, in my opinion, to tell your side of the story, a side of the story that no other, you know, media source in the country is really talking about anymore after you burned them all so many times through this whole thing. And Kyle Campbell's like, no, I'm not signing the release. It's, it's just really funny to me. It's just a tiny little classic it's Manning not, it's Center. A
1: higher than mighty attitude of yeah, yep.
0: yep. It's the, the, old man it's the Manning Center man, that place is a cesspool. Um, and I don't really know what else to say about it other than that. But yeah, it it, it gets a it gets a recommendation from me. I obviously have my gripes about it, um, and it doesn't really break anything new, right? I mean, there's I would be much more interested in a in a documentary that talked to the bagmen a lot more. Cause I thought they had some interesting insights. Um I've always kind of been of the opinion that Godfrey's biggest obstacle in these Bagman stories is that pretty much all the Bagman I think are from Old Miss. I mean that's that's kind of my opinion on it since he first came out with his famous Meet the Bagman story. Um I'm sure he's talked to some others other places but he's an Old Miss guy. That is I mean like it's like it was like when he was talking about getting information from his sources that what was going on in the hearing. It's like Okay, well, there's no one in that hearing that would talk to you except for, like, Hugh Freeze, Kyle Campbell, you know, Ross Bjork. Like, it's just very obvious where this stuff is coming from. Um, But still, the the Bagman stuff is interesting. I love the part where they just savaged Booster 14 for uh for being in the parking lot with, with Leo Lewis and said he thought he was important by being there. Really, he was a dumbass. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, this guy was extremely sloppy, talked about that. That was a huge problem for Ole Miss. Um freeze's adversarial attitude towards Sheridan was a huge problem for Ole Miss. Barney being very sloppy was a was a problem for Ole Miss. um you know, having these things on his university issue phone, uh, which again, Godfrey didn't talk about that. The fact that they took Barney's phone, found all these calls between Barney and Arble Rags. They found the text message from booster fourteen, all that stuff. Um, it, it's there were a lot of factors working against Old Miss, most of them their own fault. Uh, and then you add in the NCAA and Mississippi State, and Steve Robertson. People actively wanted Ole Miss to go down and all this. And yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. They never, they never stood a chance. Um, and it's it's Ole Miss's fault. But good movie. I will say one thing is uh, I was not that impressed with Charles Merkel. I thought he was supposed to be like the the legal savior. You know, the smartest lawyer in Mississippi. He he, just he's kind of an real, old. He's just he's an the old man.
1: Tech attorney.
0: He's a Rebel Rags attorney, yeah. But if you read old Miss he, Message Board, he's good freaking, old boy. Now, if he, if he he's a crusader,
1: a old, he gets a good old boy Mississippi judge. Watch out! He yeah, make I mean
0: they could, they can speak the same language, that's for sure. But I was I was not too impressed with his legal arguments or anything like that. I mean, oh, I, I, he wasn't he did not know, scare me from a he's
1: a hundred percent relationship lawyer. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that does um, sound like Mississippi law. He's Mississippi made right there. Yes, sir. I, yeah. did. I, one thing I also that recall that stood out to me as I watched this three weeks ago,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the hostage video, I sat there and went, oh, my God. Oh, it looks I, so bad. I had kind of forgotten about it, and I mm-hmm. just went, yeah, that happened. Holy shit. Like, what? just the, the magnitude of how bad that was. Oh, it
0: was terrible. Like, any Ole Miss fan that that day was still like, hey, maybe it'd be okay, I think was just fooling themselves. That was the night that we uh, – we got the full notice of allegations. We went through it kind of allegation by allegation. And I think a takeaway was, damn, damn old Miss is fucked. Like, that's pretty much the way it all read. The combination of the allegations, the press conference, all of that wasn't wasn't a positive day at all. And my favorite part of the press conference is when Freeze kind of, like, turns in his seat to look at Vitter and Ross and thanks them for their unwavering support throughout this whole ordeal. It's just yeah. like, man, oh, man, this is – uh. And we all know how this is going to end, so that only makes it more fun. I, I liked uh, I liked when he talked to the, the dumbass Ole Miss fans in the Grove. Like, seriously, Godfrey, I understand uh, part of this whole thing was also throwing shade at aspects of Ole Miss. I mean, we got it with the gratuitous Confederate and state flag shots in the Grove. Imagery was not lost on me. Talking to these freaking dipshits, dude. Like, oh my God, like, uh, like, it's you gotta just, you got to feed the, the nerve I know. I know. And they talked to the state fans. That was funny too. Um, I-, I loved, uh, showing the different stuff from around the junction at that egg bowl at the welcome cheaters. And they had like these, like the lamest memes ever, like OJ Simpson, old Miss's next head coach. Like, wait, so is Frieza murderer now. Like, what's the joke there? Like, I don't, I don't necessarily follow that. Um, that was funny. Uh, I liked how he had, like, a slow-motion shot of Nick Fitzgerald flipping off the crowd or whatever. I mean, like, he says he's flipping off Keetion Thompson or whatever. That was funny. Hey, big shout-out. Huge shout-out for our board table. Got his painting in there. His painting was basically, like, the representation of what happened in the second half. He was like, things got nasty. It shows the, the P in painting, and that's that was great. So, uh, big props there. Our, our boy's a celeb. There's no doubt about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I had to make myself watch it, not because of Godfrey, not because it isn't well made, because it is, just because apathy is is running pretty high at this point, I, I think, among a lot of Ole Miss fans. But uh, if you if you do feel like watching it, I I think you'll enjoy it. Really well made, has a good message. Um, I think Godfrey's a good storyteller, even though he gets some of the details wrong. So, yeah, that was my takeaway. You got anything else you want to talk about the movie, John?
1: Half a step back from it. Yeah. So today, here in 2018, we have this tremendous account on Twitter, MSU POTUS. Of course, yeah. Who really just... Fan of the show. He...
0: Until... Hold on, can I just say? Can I just say? Until MSU POTUS denounces our show in one of his tweets, I will continue to call him a fan. So if you hear this, MSU POTUS, this is your invitation to clear the air... Uh, dispel the fake news. All you have to do is mention at sharks aftr dark in a tweet. Talk about how corrupt we are. I'll stop saying you're a fan. All right, that's
1: it. Yeah. What media outlet would we be Would would a uh, MSU POTUS compare us to?
0: Ooh, I mean, I think it's MSNBC all the way, man. Or like, <laughs> or or maybe like a ooh. I'm trying to think of the most obscure but, uh, the, the deep, most obscure but... figure Trump's ever beefed with.
1: I'm trying to think of. Uh... I, oh, okay,
0: okay. How about that time that he uh, that he went off on a uh, morning Mika for her for her bad surgery and shit. Yeah. yeah. MSU, yeah. MSU Potus is like Sharks after dark. Uh, came to my tent in the junction, begged me to hold my cowbell. Now they claim they've never liked Mississippi State. Fake sad liars. Something like that would be great. I would love that. <laughs> Bleeding badly from a facelift.
1: That that works well. Joe Scarborough and I went to the same high school. Really?
0: So. I didn't know that. He's kind of a centrist douchebag. Congrats.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it fits <laughs> in well with uh, the. And then
0: uh, it- and then he could threaten to uh, to tell secrets about us, like he did about Mika and Joe. Like, uh, I I I'll reveal the truth between John and Justin if they keep pushing me. <laughs> It could be so good, dude. Are you hearing this, MSU POTUS? Are you hearing this? This is gold right here. Let's start. Let's do a work. I don't know if you know wrestling terminology, MSU POTUS. Let's do
1: a work. We can only play off each other. This is going to be great. It's funny. I mean, it's almost like – tell me what you think of this analogy, and we can develop it on the fly if he has merit. Okay. It's almost like Ole Miss and State is the 2016 election. State State is Trump. I feel like okay, not I'm it, not going to stop you,
0: but I feel like we do this analogy a lot. But continue.
1: Yeah, we do it, but I'm just th- like, I never, I don't know if I ever compared it to the election because Ole Miss is. So Hillary. I think we've compared other stuff to the
0: election. But Ole Miss on.
1: can't go two weeks without doing something stupid, and then you got all this like crooked infrastructure behind it. Like Debbie Wasserman Schultz might as well be like an athletic, you know, like. I mean, I so, think I think Debbie Wasserman
0: Schultz is a little Barney. He got a little Barney in her.
1: Little Barney. Yeah. Um, who's the campaign manager that was Robbie, like? Robbie. He, John. What's what was that guy's name? Oh, John Podesta. Out. Yeah. Yeah. He's like uh, Bjork. Or Vitter. One of them.
0: John Podesta is kind of like a Vitter, like a Vitter figure, I would say. Although Hillary is also kind of Vitter. The problem is there's no one really around Hillary. I guess Bill oh, we got this. Bill is freeze. Easy. Yeah. It's done. It's over. Um Yeah, I mean, I guess you're right in the state to Trump comparison in that both are having like somewhat or had a somewhat unexpected success. I mean, if we're extending this into all sports where state is going to soon be playing for a national championship in baseball, um a little bit unexpected, you know, the the old miss was the Hillary there, that the just crumpled uh when the time came, lost Tennessee Tech, all that stuff. Oh,
1: like, like Hillary not going to Wisconsin is Ole Miss, not even bothering to, like, <laughs> clean out freezes FOIA or uh, – Or Barney's like, phone. Three levels of – yeah, Yeah, Barney yeah, will. you're
0: just so confident that it'll all be fine. Yeah, you're like, I mean, there are obviously myriad factors uh, going on. That, but it, it, on the most general level, sure, you can make that comparison. That's fine. I mean, it's fun. We're having fun doing it, so don't don't
1: stop. That's pretty much it. <laughs> also, so time at state. The Diamond Dogs are two and zero in Omaha,
0: mm, we, convincingly so. At least in the second game. The first game they won by one, but the second game they won by like ten or something.
1: They ran North Carolina out of TD, TD Ameritrade. So if I lived within a thousand miles of Mississippi, I would not have this take. <laughs> but since I live a thousand miles outside of Mississippi. And I am sick and I'm just I think the loser supporters of Ole Miss deserve this to happen. I think I want state to win the baseball national title.
0: I just I don't see like you literally just want it to happen so that people here will suffer, which is fine. I just yep. don't I, I don't see how it, it helps Ole Miss in any way.
1: It doesn't, unless you really want Bianco to get fired. And then this I, don't, I don't
0: even think this is going to impact Bianco. I really don't. I think Bianco will retire at Ole Miss, no matter what, dude. Listen, Bianco will probably make a super regional next year. It'll be a coin flip whether or not to make it to Omaha. I think probably Bianco won't.
1: is another home regional next year after State wins a national title. It looks he bad. Don't. He doesn't get fired next
0: year, but that starts a path where he has to win, or or, or he will get fired.
1: But sure get
0: fired? he's not gonna. He's not going to lose a regional next year. They're gonna win oh. their regional. I'm telling you, this is the path to true long term mediocrity. Just enough success. He'll never actually be in any type of danger. He's gonna retire at Ole Miss in like ten years. I mean, that's just that's what's gonna happen. I, that's what I think. That's the kind of coach he is. He just keeps his head above water.
1: Yes. Yeah, I good. mean, that's... Ole Miss has a good team next year. They do.
0: They'll be good in the regular season.
1: Let's see if it's got. Let's see if it's a group of people that cannot choke like dogs in the postseason.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: um, we'll see. We got
0: Ron O'Leenick coming back to you. We'll be good to go. Gonna save everything just like it did this
1: year at the end. Wait, what? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, what was, what was, oh. So, Bianco's been there 18 years. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. The life
0: Wait, of a full-grown adult.
1: So he can did vote. Joe, did, did Joe Girardi deserve to – should he have been fired from the Yankees last year?
0: Uh, They fired him because they, they didn't want to let him preside over all the young talent, right? They wanted a, new, a fresher start. Why do you think they
1: fired him? Ten years, and at some point things run their course.
0: Right. That's kind of, yeah. But I, what I'm saying is the Yankees organization <laughs> is immensely more committed to winning than Ole Miss will ever be.
1: Well, well how much money have they put into Swayze? I mean, it's not the same dollar figure magnitude. But, but it's college- not even
0: about the money. I'm talking about the attitudes. The people that paid for Swayze Field care more about the access to Bianco than they do about winning.
1: That yeah, you're right. Yeah,
0: it's it's not, right. it's not it's not the same priority system. It, it's 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 more about feeling like you have, you know, agent. You're part of a club. Yeah, yeah, you get to you you get to hang. You send you get Bianco's Christmas card or whatever, and you go to the Lafarge bullpen the, meetings uh, like and you the, uh, hang uh, out with your other friends. Bullpen.
1: Yeah, it, it's it, a bullpen it, club meeting.
0: It's just that's the problem with with being a fan of these Mississippi teams is for the true movers and shakers that can actually impact things, whether it's by successfully being a bag man, unlike booster 14 or whether it's by big donations that improve facilities or get better coaches hired, all that stuff. They just, they aren't focused on winning as the first and foremost priority. And that's the, that's the difference when you look at something like the Yankees or the Cubs, these big organizations that are so much more than access um it's a totally different vibe and and Old Miss is a great example of why college athletics is quirkier and less predictable than pro sports where you can kind of look at it and say okay they have a middle they have a middle table coach they have a middle table roster they're going to finish in the middle of the table or if they have a really bad season they're going to they're going to go lower. In college athletics you can have every advantage and still shoot yourself on the foot over and over, which is what Ole Miss did under Freeze at pretty much every turn. I mean, you had these great recruiting classes. You had Shea Patterson, and what do you do with Shea Patterson? You go 5-7, and seven, get blown out in the Egg Bowl uh, to finish his freshman season. He gets injured the next year, and then he leaves. I mean, like, these are just... You can't project it just based on talent and just based on donations or, or uh, who the coach is. There's just so much more bullshit going on. And it's kind of... Depressing, I guess, in a way, but also, I guess it's more bullshit to talk about on a podcast. So here we are.
1: Yes, here we are. Very successful so, podcast, a podcast you, that is sought am after. I, am I fandom for the dogs here in Omaha? Am I what? Does my fandom for the dogs annoy you?
0: Uh, I mean, it, I don't, I don't, I don't think it matters. Either state's a team of destiny, and they're going to win it all, or they're going to return to form, or they're going to choke. I mean, their pitching is not that now, good.
1: Here's what I really want. Okay. Yeah, State to win the title and then Henderson to not take the job after they finally offered to him. Oh, come on.
0: Come on. Henderson will stay as long as they'll have him, dude. Henderson is so far past his prime, he's lucky to be coaching in the SEC, dude. Super lucky. He got fired at Kentucky. Like, yep. uh, honestly, State... Th- here's what's so funny, and I might have said this. I don't think I've said this on the show, but what happened with... Uh, what's his dick? Uh... The coach, the coach they had that were they, with the big uh, biceps,
1: Butch Thompson.
0: No, 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 The guy oh. that they got
1: fired. What was that? His name? Canazar. Canazar, Yeah, yeah.
0: So, okay. So it's been a really weird three years for state. They've been to super regionals three years in a row. Now Omaha in the third year with three different coaches. First year, John Cohen goes super regional, decides he would rather be athletic director and quits. Very strange. This does not happen very often. Uh, he hires Canizaro who, you know, I don't know if you guys have noticed this anytime state hires a coach, especially a young coach before in the time period from when they're hired to when the season starts, they can convince themselves that it was the best possible hire. You can see it right now with Joe Moorhead. Uh, if you, if you read a state fan talking about Joe Moorhead, you would think he's like, you know, a decorated head coach with conference championships and other schools for coming here or something like, it, it's just crazy. But so they, they convinced themselves that Cannizzaro is going to be a world beater, has a good first season, but Cohen knows Cannizzaro is immature. He knows there's something there. So he gets another head coach, Gary Henderson, to be on the staff, babysit him, probably report back to Cohen what's really going on, uh, keep an eye on it. It turns out Cohen was dead on. Props to Cohen for seeing this coming. Cannizzaro gets fired after three games this season for uh, personal reasons. We've talked about it on the show. You can go back and find the episode. Uh, and look, Cohen was a genius. You had this old balls head coach here to step in right away. He struggles for a while, ends up going on a tear, beat all these top 10 teams, national coach of the year, about to be playing for a national championship. So all that to say, the fact that Cohen hired a completely unknown coach that had personality problems, but he saw it coming and put Henderson in there, I mean, he looks kind of smart. It's, it's hard because he looks dumb and smart at the same time. Like, why did you hire Candice there to begin with? But if you had to hire him, I guess it was smart to also hire Henderson. Um, I don't know. I I, I give him credit for it, but also it's like it's hard to give credit when you created the situation yourself, right? Kind of like a child separation issue we got here. (laughs) And and that's why you love the show, folks. Always bring it back. Keep it current. Tied into what's going on in the news.
1: Oh, man.
0: Hmm. I think it's been a good show already, John.
1: I think um, we hit hit the main bits. Yeah, coming um, up on
0: forty minutes here. It is a summer show. Not as much talk about as a as a normal if going sports, on. If sports were going well,
1: on, the NBA draft's going on. Whatever.
0: Yeah, uh, Memphis picked somebody. I saw it a second ago. I don't know. I
1: appear to have gotten the best the best thing out there outside of the top two. Oh,
0: I will say, I have a I have a sports I have a sports story. Okay, hold on, hold on. Who was? What's the name of the number one pick? Do you know?
1: Uh, DeAndre Ayton.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. DeAndre Ayton. Did you see his promoted tweet? No. Oh, this is so good, dude. He he tweeted this earlier today. So, if you uh, if you follow like drafts and stuff, this always happens. Like for the NFL draft, a few weeks before it's happening. I'm not sure about NBA, but at some point. The kids are done being student athletes. They know they're going to get drafted, and they go ahead and they get sponsors and corporate people to start paying them to promote stuff on their on their social media. All that, um, totally standard, right? But so he, DeAndre Ayton, maybe the best sponsored tweet of all time. It's a picture of him with a big ass Call of Duty logo, like on a rooftop somewhere. And so this is a direct quote from his Twitter account. Okay, John, June twentieth, twenty eighteen, at six twenty six p.m. DeAndre Ayton at DeAndre Ayton. All he needs to tag. All he needs to tag is hashtags Black Ops 4 and hashtags Call of Duty partner, and the rest can be in his words. Click send tweet. He he literally pasted the text message from his handler or agent or whatever, and just tweeted that. Like legend, dude. This guy's a freaking legend. Later later, he gets picked first in the NBA draft. Uh, you, you just got you gotta clap, dude. Like he doesn't have time to put it in his own words. He's just gonna send whatever you sent him. Who cares? Just pay me, bitch. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um
1: You watching a World Cup? I've been following it.
0: Uh what the cool team to tier four is like Croatia, right?
1: They well, it beat Argentina three nothing today, I guess.
0: Yeah, but isn't Argentina like in shambles?
1: Well, they have Messi. They're well, no, no, they
0: have great players, but obviously, but like from the tweets I've seen, it seems like they have some serious. I don't know if it's chemistry or coaching or what. They're having some problems.
1: They, yeah, the the sum of the parts doesn't have, is less than what the talent is individually.
0: Yeah, which in pat in years past, I think they've been better. Right? I mean, I remember them being at least on FIFA like one of the best international teams to play with.
1: Yeah, they're still ranked high, but something's. Mm-hmm. They have some psycho. So
0: who's your, who's who do you think is gonna win? The whole thing.
1: I don't know who's going to win the whole thing. Since, uh, Who Volkswagen, since Volkswagen is pressuring me into picking a team to root four.
0: Are they? How's that How's that work?
1: Seen the commercials?
0: Uh-uh. I haven't seen them.
1: Oh, never mind. Well, that's, that's what, what the with, listeners will understand. They make some stereotypical uh, representation. They have like a Belgium one, an Iceland one, mm-hmm. German one. Like, hey – Sorry, the U.S. isn't in it this year. but it's Oh, to jump yeah, yeah, way.
0: yeah. I think I caught part of this. And it was just kind of like, uh, okay, dude.
1: It was too stereotypical. I think it's hilarious that Fox
0: didn't send uh, the commentators to Russia. They're calling it like from a soundstage booth.
1: Is that really true? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. At least some of them because I, I watched a clip of them calling a game. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy because when you think about how much they paid for the rights for this, but, hey, I guess you got to save money somewhere.
1: That's interesting. I didn't realize they were doing that. Yeah.
0: Uh, they sent some people, but I know a lot of the games are being called in English by Americans. Uh and they also didn't pay out for like the British guys, you know, like the real the real casters. So that was that's that's interesting. Uh, uh, that's hey interesting. man, dude, it's a freaking tough media landscape. Let me tell you as a guy that makes a free podcast for like 100 people. It's a dog eat dog world out there.
1: <laughs> My team is uh, a El tree. I want Mexico.
0: Oh, yeah, me too, I, me too. I, I'm, I'm cheering I, I, for Mexico. I
1: support, I support Landon Donovan. And they need a win, man. Let's go. I, I, I'm uh, I'm cheering for uh, for
0: Mexico as well. Um, do we know if in that World Cup that we're hosting with Mexico and Canada, are we all three going to get automatic bids? And most importantly, are we going to get automatic bids?
1: They're expanding it to 48 teams that year.
0: So we should be good.
1: And I, I would imagine CONCACAF adjusts there. Maybe it's... You know, makes an adjustment if needed to make sure, you know, take care of it.
0: I don't know if they've been on those rights yet, but that's going to be so much more widely watched. Do you remember four years ago how crazy people went when the U.S. was playing?
1: They, uh... It was
0: bigger than the Olympics for sure.
1: They promised 11 they, – they're touting they can give FIFA $11 billion in profit. So wow. I think all three teams are going to be automatically.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I don't know about Canada, but the viewership for Mexico and the U.S. is, is, is going to be large. you got to put Canada in there. I mean, especially – we're talking about uh, 2026, right? Not the next one, but the next, next one? Because 2022 is yeah. in Qatar, right? Yeah. Um, so by that point you have to think how large the soccer watching population in the US is gonna be. I mean it's gonna be exponentially larger from all the kids that are still playing soccer still now. Playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this get people like us just being exposed more and more to it over the next eight years. I mean boomers dying off. There's there's gonna be a ton of enthusiasm. Uh so probably a smart move by FIFA to, to have it in the US. I think um like I said, whatever channel bids for that, and I bet I bet ESPN goes all out for that one. Um, because that would be—it's going to be a really big media property that year. I
1: not have the rights for that one. Security. I don't know. That's what I
0: was wondering. I don't know how long Fox's deal is. I don't know. But hey, if they're if they're cheaping out this year and they have the rights to that one, I hope they're just saving up to to really blow it out for that because I think that'll be a big event. Hell, maybe we'll go to a game, dude. He knows what we'll be doing in eight years. That'd be fun.
1: Be kind of fun to go to one. It would be. I, it would be fun. That that's really going to be because they were saying. It, the, it'll be the two hundred fifty fiftieth anniversary of america oh, there you like go. play the world cup final on july 4th 2026 oh come on
0: a world cup final is everybody else getting way worse in between now and they would even make it this year
1: i'm not saying the u.s is in it I'm just oh go to it yeah
0: yeah yeah that'd or, be cool or
1: or well or you could open the tournament on july 4th.
0: yeah that would be cool That's, let america play
1: you open the tournament. Oh, let Atlanta.
0: America play the U.K., dude. Let's go, dude. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, July, we should 4th, the be July 4th, Revolutionary War. Hold it in Boston. Boston Tea Party, baby. Yep. That'd be you. so sick. Gillette Stadium. Open it
1: Foxborough. Yeah, but, uh,
0: dude. Oh, I'm hyped already. Now i got to find something to do for the next eight years. Holy shit. Let's go. It goes down.
1: Oh. So, oh, man. The other thing that'll be interesting is what where's the nfl in 8 years hmm. and yeah. with soccer soccer is going to keep growing well the is nfl that,
0: will be dwarfed by the uh the flag respected league 20, right what's it is called the
1: 2026 world cup an event that could really
0: signal the, alter, the yeah the torch passing
1: the yeah. of Major sports, pop. I mean, right now it's NFL, I, NBA. I wouldn't be surprised NBA, if that is kind of a NBA.
0: turning point to the death of football. Like, if that is kind of one that, of the death knells.
1: That could either, I mean, if, if the NFL like gets its act together and solidifies itself, I, I, I don't, I think they'll be fine. But if the NFL keeps floundering like they are, well,
0: they have to address CTE. They have to do something helmet they don't, wise, if they technique don't fix wise,
1: problems which they. They have really been fucking up for a while. Well, they're getting it
0: from both sides now because, I mean, maybe you're going to get some of that lost viewership back from the flag crowd next year with the new rules, but you probably have lost some of those people forever. Uh, And then the the younger people don't care as much about it. The the crowd that knows about CTE is very anti-that. I mean, moms know about that, don't want their sons playing football. Um, There's a lot of things that, you know, eight years from now could have coalesced into – I, the NFL will still be around, but it's kind of like a peak oil situation, right? Where they, we might be seeing seasons where they're declining for the first time instead of growing their, their viewership.
1: Yeah.
0: It'll be oh, interesting. It. You know, I don't know if you know, but the NFL is really big like in Mexico um, and in other parts of the country. It'll be interesting to see if there is more international talent coming into football in the future from even poorer areas. Uh, than kind of the areas that a lot of football talent comes from in the U.S., uh, kind of like in baseball and all the international talent from South America and the Caribbean and all of that. I don't know. It's, it's kind of just a speculation like it's, it's possible. I don't know. Crazy to think about, John, eight years from now. A lot's going to happen. We'll be on. Uh,
1: it's just interesting in general to
0: see where. Uh, eight years from now, we'll be in Ivanka's first term. Is that right? I think that's right. <laughs> yeah, so that's lots to look forward to there. Uh, <laughs> Alright dude, it's been a great show uh, Like I said, we started off Reviewing Stephen Godfrey's Documentary series uh, Just to reiterate, pretty good You can watch it if you want to um, Talk some baseball, talk some soccer Really hit the high points here I think it was a, it was a pretty great episode For our first uh, Non-active Ole Miss sports Episode of the summer um, yeah, high, high watermark We'll see if we can get back there at any point in the summer Probably not, but we'll see um all right dude thank you for taking the time as always john and thank you for listening guys um if you want to find out more about the podcast you know you can look at our twitter it's not much on there our defunct website all that stuff but hey you never know uh what's going to be happening with the podcast in the future so just stay tuned and uh keep listening guys really appreciate it um but for now for john i'm justin thanks again and we'll talk to you again later